I'd like to introduce our uh, topic and our speakers for today. Uh, as you know, we're talking about homelessness, and one would not expect homelessness to be a problem in our rich uh, and prosperous uh, province, but in the last two decades, ho uh, homelessness has become a, a major concern um, throughout Canada and throughout Alberta as well. Uh, today, there are approximately a half a million people across Canada who uh, are either on city streets or in shelters at any one time. In 1998, uh, uh, homelessness was declared a national disaster by the big city mayors, and action was uh, at that time proposed on how to begin to resolve the issue. Housing advocates are concerned today, however, that we have a homeless system uh, that has emerged and that homelessness is becoming a way of life for many. Um, how many people in Lethbridge are homeless? Do we have the right approach to the problem in our city? Uh, should we be increasing the number of uh, spaces in the shelters or what other approaches should we be taking? And do, or do we need a new approach? That's what our speakers are here today to discuss. Our speakers are Diane Randall, Manager of Community and Social Development for the City of Lethbridge. Uh, she has a background in healthcare and community development and has been actively involved in providing leadership on a number of community and social issues over the past several years. Deborah Chenery is the Executive Director of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Alberta South Region. Uh, she has, a strong, has been a strong community advocate for the mentally ill for many years, and she was recently named a distinguished alumnus of the University of Lethbridge for her work in, uh, community, in the community. I've known both of these uh, women for several years. Uh, they're uh, dynamic uh, leaders in our community, and I thank them for coming here today. And now we'll turn the meeting over to our speakers. Well, thank you very much, uh, Bob, for a kind introduction, as well as it's wonderful to see so many friendly faces and people that, that I know out in, in the audience. Uh, when we were approached about uh, doing this presentation, uh, Deb and I wanted to, we got together and talked about how can we carry this message uh, to our community uh, about closing the front door opening the back door. And what we're talking about here is closing the front doors of our shelters. And how can we do that? And as we go into, as we go into our presentation, we'll talk about how important if we're going to close the front door, we've got to open the back door. And what does that going to require, uh, not only on a national and provincial uh, basis, but also on a local community basis. So this is a, I'd like to start out with this, with this uh, quote that homelessness is a function of social inequities, not an individual choice. And when we developed our, our strategic plan called Bringing Lethbridge Home, this was key and critical in looking at new ways of addressing homelessness in our community. So why are we here today? Well, the main reason that, that we're here today is to introduce a new way of thinking about housing and homelessness. We have adopted a principle that it is important to end homelessness in Lethbridge, not just to manage it. And in the introduction that Bob uh, provided, he stated that homelessness is becoming an industry. It's becoming a way of life, and it's being an accepted way of life. And what Social Housing in Action is saying, no, this is not right for our community and for Lethbridge. So we want to end homelessness. 
the vulnerability of the homeless and those at risk is significant. And as we go through the presentation, what I will share with you is that the longer that a person is homeless, the more vulnerable they become to the deteriorating health conditions, to substance use, to mental illness, and all the complexities of homelessness that it, it provides. So let's talk a little bit about, well, what's happening in Lethbridge? Well, first of all, Homeless people is not a homogeneous group. And in Lethbridge, we tend to think of the homeless people as the middle-aged native person, male. And that is what our connotation and what our picture of homelessness is in Lethbridge. 60, we've seen in the last year a 60% increase in homelessness from 2007. So if we look at homelessness not being a homogeneous group, we're talking about families with children. We're talking about couples. We're talking about youth under the age of 18. We're talking about single men and women. We're talking about seniors. We're talking about new Canadians, and we're talking about Aboriginal peoples. They have very diverse characteristics. They are living with mental illness, they're living with poverty, they're living with substance use, family breakdowns, unemployment, and lack of life skills. And we know that a number of our homeless population are also affected by FAS, or fetal alcohol syndrome. So studies confirm too, and this is really significant, that premature, uh, that the longer that a person is homeless, between and a wide range, they experience a wide range of health and social problems. They deal with premature death, infectious disease, acute illness, chronic depression, risk of suicide, mental illness, substance use. The situation is worsened by poor nutrition and hygiene. A number of our homeless population have diabetes. And so you can appreciate the kind of food or nutrition that our homeless population may have access to. It contributes to the development of treatment resistance, tuberculosis, hepatitis C, and HIV AIDS. In addition, 30%, we've seen a 30% increase in the number of people sleeping rough. And when we talk about sleeping rough, you'll see in the picture that's on the slide, these are actual pictures from Lethbridge when we conducted our homeless census of where people are sleeping. And we identified just by a walkabout over 45 different sites where we knew that people had been sleeping. What was most troubling for us this year is that we also saw evidence of homeless families. So we saw evidence with formula, baby bottles, disposable diapers. So 61% are between the ages of 31 and 59. We also have a significant portion of our population that are becoming seniors. And they are also dealing now with the, with the disabilities and the effects of aging. 78% of the homeless are male, 22% are female. And I'd just like to share a profile of who's staying at our adult shelter. 30% uh, of our population that are staying at the adult shelter are women. Um, only 40% are First Nations or ab Aboriginal. Uh, and the rest are young males. We have seen a significant change of the faces of homelessness in Lethbridge over the past year. Lethbridge is dealing with, a, we call it a 0% vacancy rate because what's 0.6%? A healthy vacancy rate in any community is between 4 and 6%, so that there's some flexibility and there's movement that can occur. So we are the only city as well 
that vacancy rate did not increase over the last year. This is in the province of Alberta. But even if our vacancy rate, and we, saw, we see this in Calgary and Edmonton, that the vacancy rates have increased, but that does not translate into affordability. All right, so there may be increases in vacancy rate, but is that affordable? So what else is happening in Lethbridge? Over 40% of the homeless stated these reasons for coming to Lethbridge, okay, that they came because they heard there was housing, that there was an awareness that there may be employment opportunities, and that their family and friends encouraged them to come. And this is probably one of the most significant learnings for us when we did our homeless census, that 43% of the homeless in Lethbridge are not from Lethbridge, nor are they from the neighboring reserves. We see people from all across Canada and from the U.S. So just to give you an idea of the trend, these are actual pictures, okay? So you can see that people are sleeping in tents uh, down in the river bottom, in the coolies, along the railway tracks, and they're living in vehicles. We do have a, had a family that was living uh, in a vehicle as well. You can see here the four-year trend since we've been doing the homeless census, uh, the street census, the agency census, and the census total. So you can see here that the ones that people that we were actually able to count and to conduct the census has gone up dramatically. This does not include, and there's been some research that shows that at least only 20% um, of the total homeless population can you count, that they're visible, that they're on the street, they're in the shelters. So I'm sure a lot of you know of people that, oh, my granddaughter is staying here with us for a while because she doesn't have a home. Or my son and daughter have moved home because they can't afford a down payment or they can't afford the rent. Or that my, my son's friend is staying with us for a few weeks until he gets things straightened out with his family. We call that couch surfing. And they are homeless. They have no place that they know that they've got a home and a bed to go to that night. Uh, this also shows you the, um, the trend uh, identification of ethnicity or visible minorities. And so you can see here that um, in 2008, 40, 40, 45% of um, the people are uh, visible minority. The rest are Caucasian. So, bringing Lethbridge home, what are our strategic goals? Now, bringing Lethbridge home is the strategic plan that we have for ending homelessness. Uh, it's a very ambitious plan, but we have been told that we should be able to do that within five years because it's a smaller community. We're not dealing with the Torontos and the Vancouver's and the, and the Calgary's and the Edmonton's. So, we have uh, seven key goals that, that we're looking at right now. The first is develop and increase housing opportunities for people. Uh, the next one is to develop awareness and education to reduce NIMBY, not in my backyard, through positive neighborhood relations. And so not until the zoning comes along, and, and, but it's creating that awareness in the community of what it means to have an alternate kind of housing in your neighborhood. The other part is that there is a belief that the more that we integrate how different kinds of housing in neighborhoods, the more positive an impact that has on reducing and breaking the cycle of poverty. The third major uh, and fourth strategic goal is to develop and implement an, a Lethbridge-based housing first strategy for our community and provide an, a coordinated um, outreach support service. Now these are two, the two critical things that we're gonna talk about today. 
But the, the balance of our goals is to ensure that there's access to appropriate emergency shelter. There's still people that find themselves in crisis. Um, and to continue to enhance service delivery and always look at um, implementing systems improvement. How can we make it better? So we don't rest on success. It's about how can we continuously make it better. So uh, housing first, we're going to talk about what is it, who is it for, how does it work, why is it so effective, what are some potential barriers uh, in our community, and what is the cost-benefit analysis of doing that. So let's look at, uh, first of all, how did we get started? Well, about three years ago, our mayor and uh, Dr. Gary Bowie, who's the head of Shia, joined other mayors and leaders of uh, different community uh, uh, advisory boards across the province. We went to the province and said, give us the money and we'll show you that outreach services, innovative outreach services can make a significant difference. And I have to say the province has been very generous and they were able to do that. So of the seven, there's seven cities in Alberta that receive housing and homelessness funding, both from a federal and a provincial level. And the provincial government said, let's give this a try because we cannot continue doing what we're doing because it has an impact on us, both from an economic perspective and from a social perspective. So what is this? Let's start with what is this housing first model? This model started in the United States. It started in the United States and has been extremely successful. It has the benefit of being consistent with what most people experiencing homeless want and seek help to achieve. And I will just tell you, you talk to any person who finds themselves in this situation and you ask them, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? And I'm going to demyth something immediately. People do not choose to be homeless. They do not choose to not have a roof over their head and a place that they can call their own. The other piece is that um, it rests on the belief that helping people access and sustain permanent, affordable housing should be the central goal of our work. And that's where we have gone with Social Housing in Action. By providing housing assistance, case management, and supportive services responsible to individual or family needs after an individual is housed, communities can significantly reduce the time people experience homelessness so and prevent further episodes of homelessness. The central tenet of the Housing First approach is that social services to enhance individual and family well-being can be more effective when people live in their own home. And we're going to be able to demonstrate to you what we've been able to accomplish in Lethbridge in a short year. So, what is, else is housing first? There's magic to this. The separation of housing and services. And the other tenet uh, of housing first is that, well, you can have housing if you deserve it. And there's this premise or this belief that People need to be free from any kind of, of episode that they're dealing with, whether it be mental illness, whether it be a physical disability, whether it be a mental disability, that there is this belief that when you're substance-free, then you can, you can live in an apartment or you can have an apartment. So that's been the old way that you had to earn the right to uh, have access to housing. We're saying that people cannot uh, deal with housing or with their personal life issues, uh, when they don't know where they're going to sleep that night, most are very sleep-deprived. They're sleep-deprived because they fear for their own safety. 
they don't know where they're going to sleep that night. You've seen some of the pictures of where people are sleeping, because, but they don't know that from day in and day out. So we have some guiding principles. And in our community, we are very fortunate. Lethbridge has been known across, is known across the province and country as a best practice for developing collaborative partnerships. So when we knew that this funding was coming forward, the first thing that we did, and what you do when you're faced with an issue, is you call together your friends. You call together your friends and you say, this is what we're being presented with. How should our community address this? How should we do that? And we had clinical people. We had agencies. We had different uh, um, expertise. We went to different communities and said, how are we going to do this? And I am so proud of the group that sat at that table because they developed a Lethbridge model. And um, we are, our community planning is second to none. So our guiding principle is, is that people can make competent choices when they are faced, when they have that opportunity. This, the second principle is that housing is a fundamental human right, not a reward. That recovery from addictions and mental illness is possible that people want to participate in community life. It's very difficult to make life changes when you are sleeping with a hundred of your closest friends. Okay, so just think about that. Think about that 10 feet from you in a shelter, you're down on a mat, that is where you sleep. You sleep on a mat, you hear all the noise, all the confusion, all the things that happen as people are coming and going. You don't have quiet. You haven't had supper. Maybe you just had a cup of soup for supper. You're hungry. And you're probably cold, especially if you're trying to find a place to sleep outside. Okay? So how can po people possibly make life choices or life changes? So the premise then that it's individual choice Person decides the sequence for receiving the services. It empowers people and fosters self-reliance within a very short period of time. And so Deb's going to talk to you about how we go about doing that. One of the things for empowering people, you may see some of our, of our homeless folks downtown, and they're cleaning. Have you, noticed, have you noticed them down and about? And they're out there, and they're cleaning. And the changes that have happened to people just by being able to wake up in the morning and have a purpose. They see then, they're then connected with housing first. They see that there is another way. And they get paid for what they do. They have a bank card, probably the first bank card that they've ever had. And their honorarium and stipend is, de is uh, deposited in their account. So we're starting to see that cycle starting to slowly change. It facilitates long-term stability and we don't move people. You get them into permanent housing. They don't have to go through steps to be able to um, get housing. And people are more responsive um, to interventions and social support after they are in their own home. The separation of housing and services is that housing is not contingent on compliance with services. So just think about yourself. You're going to look for your own apartment. If someone said to you, well, you can't come and live here unless I know you're going to mental health. You can't come and live here unless I know that you abstain. You can't come and live here if you have a pet. Or we don't take children. Okay? So many barriers that, that um, people face. The other thing that we assure people is that relapse 
or a hospital admission does not result in housing loss. And our team works very hard at making sure that that doesn't happen. That harm reduction, I told you about the vulnerability. We know that morbidity and mortality significantly increases the longer that a person is homeless. Some of our people have been homeless for over four years, five years. And we know clinically that their uh, rate of death, premature death, significantly increases within, within that time. The other part is that treatment is voluntary, just like it's voluntary for you. It's voluntary for them, and most seek treatment once housing and income is supported and secured. We also focus uh, on helping people access and sustain permanent rental housing just as quickly as we possibly can. Housing is not time-limited. Uh, we look at housing stability first, then services. Services are time-limited, or sometimes it's long-term, and Deb's going to be able to share some of the stories uh, with, with you. So it's now my pleasure to introduce Deb Chenery. Um, Canadian Mental Health, although they are the administrative organization, this program is not just for people dealing with mental illness. Uh, so this Pathways to Housing team, where's Stacy? There she is, our case manager, um, is here. Uh, so that team functions uh, underneath the umbrella of Canadian Mental Health, but is not just for people living with mental health issues. Okay. Um, I, I just want to quickly let you know that we're celebrating a little bit today with our Pathways uh, program. We've been in existence for exactly a year as the 15th of January, and as of this morning, uh, we placed our 200th case in housing in the city. And based on, thank you, thank you very much. And I really attribute it to the hard work that our team does here and our partnerships. And I know a number of our partnerships are, or partners are here today, Lethbridge Housing, um, our addictions people, and it's, it's just been wonderful. And when I say 200 cases, that includes family members as well. So um, talking about the housing first model, there is very much a recovery focus with uh, Pathways to Outreach team. Uh, we assist and support people with treatment, social services, community integration. And this is what we call our wraparound services, and I think this is very critical to our success. As Diane said, the first thing, our first priority is get them safe, get them into a home. Then we provide the wraparound services. We find people are much more willing to accept services if they're feeling safe and if they've got their own home. Um, what is Housing First for? Uh, we address people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness or they have been evicted from their homes. Um, it addresses issues with families living with low incomes and again, uh, considering that we've had over 128 children involved in the cases that we found houses, it really does speak to the fact that homelessness hits all people, including families. Um, it's for landlords in that we act as a uh, liaison between the landlord and the individual. We're also there to consult with the landlord. If there's issues, our team provides long-term follow-up, and our team will go out and actually help the landlord in dealing with any issues that have been taking place, or vice versa. If it's with the tenant and there's been some issues with the landlord, we're an advocate for them as well. Um, also, we are... 
uh, for the community, obviously. Um, our intent is to help individuals in most need who need housing. And um, it works because it's people-driven. Uh, it's assisted and supported by the team. And follow-up is long-term, and I think that's critical. And I want to address very quickly, if I could, what makes the team so successful in that it's a multidisciplinary interagency team. It consists of a case manager, a clinical supervisor, and I was really pleased to see that our clinical supervisor, his mom and dad, are actually here today, so it was really exciting to hear that. Um, we also have a team that's made up of backgrounds in social work, justice, um, uh, mental health, and we have contracted services with ADAC, and we also have contracted housing specialist services with Lethbridge Housing Authority. So our team is very comprehensive, and um, we think that that's one of the keys to its success. So the process involves intake and assessment. So that's what happens is the team meets with the individuals who come forward to us. We do an intake, we assess what their needs are. We jointly develop a plan with those individuals and that includes everything from helping them with securing finances to looking at what, what kind of housing do they want? Where do they want to live? And this is critical too. A lot of people have barriers with transportation. So, you know, if you're putting somebody over on the west side, uh, they've got a family, they need to be close to daycare, to schooling, that kind of thing. So we look at all the variables when we decide on where's the best place to help an individual find homes. We implement the plan in conjunction with the individual or the family member, and we follow up and evaluate that plan. That means that we're in constant contact with these individuals, and that means home visits. It means that they come to visit us at, at the office. We're on uh, constant contact by, via telephone. So the follow-up is long-term. Minimum that we do is one year, and that can be longer if need be. We've seen uh, in the year that we've been in service, we've had some tremendous outcomes already. Um, number one, people sustain their housing. And I'm going to give you some statistics on that. I've got two minutes, so I'm going through really fast. Uh, consider quality of life uh, improved. Or there's considerable improvement in quality of life. Um, they're able to integrate and participate into community life. Um, people are accessing required services. Again, we're finding once they're in their home, they're feeling more comfortable, they're more willing to access service. There's improved health conditions. Um, we've, we've proven in the past year that there's decreased eviction rates. There's increased positive relationships with landlords, decreased hospitalization and EMS, decreased police intervention, and increased collaboration of services. And um, where our statistics are actually showing that we have been able to facilitate those outcomes. We've had 198 households, uh, 366 people, and these actually are a little bit low. That's up to over 500 right now. And uh, as I said, 128 children, nine pregnant women, 40 homeless, 29 that were couch surfing, six sleeping rough, five households are seniors, 11 housed from psychiatry unit at the hospital, 51 housed as a result of evictions, and 13 referred to other places. 93 
36% of the people we've housed have remained in their housing. And that actually is higher than the, uh, the national statistics as far as a housing first uh, model. So we're extremely pleased with how our uh, model is working. 7% of those have been rehoused, which often happens if a landlord often will increase rents and it becomes beyond what they can pay. So we may have to look at rehousing or life circumstances change. They need to move into a larger apartment. 7% have been evicted. Considering the uh, number of people that we're serving, we feel that that is, is a very low percentage and we're very pleased with that. And again, we attribute it to the long-term follow-up that we provide. 11% uh, received eviction prevention funding, and that is the HEPF fund or the Homelessness Eviction Prevention Fund through the province of Alberta, which has been a wonderful um, um, assistance to individuals to help with uh, rent initial rent payments and damage deposits. Why is it so effective? Again, people and family-driven. It builds trust and contacts with our team, and that's the biggest thing. A lot of these people don't trust a lot of individuals. They've lived on the street. Um, a lot of the interventions they've had with agencies and with people in the community have been very negative, and so it's a part of building up that trust. People begin to believe that they are created equally and endowed with certain rights, and they have a right to self-determination. Cost-benefit analysis. I'm winding up really quickly, and I'm going to do it on a, a, a financial note. Um, we are currently now undergoing a large research project with the province of Alberta with seven cities. Um, we know that there is a, a very positive cost-benefit analysis to Housing First based on research, and we think that our information will also uh, show that. But uh, Million Dollar Murray was a test or uh, a case down in Oregon that showed what it cost. They followed an individual for seven years, and it cost over seven or uh, yeah a million dollars in services to keep this person who was living on the streets. Um, Three hundred thousand people experience homelessness in Canada per per year. So if you can do the math yourself and what the cost is, uh, just in financial cost to uh, to society, emergency shelter services alone cost twenty seven to thirty five thousand dollars a year. Housing first costs twenty two thousand a year, and that's U.S. costs, of course. Um, there's a significant cost avoidance in housing first. And there's a significant economic benefit of housing first philosophy. I'm just going to wrap up very quickly by saying that one of the, uh, talking a little bit about the barriers we faced here. Absolutely, um, it's been the affordable housing, our vacancy rates here, um, the NIMBY, and we hear that all of the time. Um, the accessibility, and this deals a lot with the fact that we have people that are barriered or have challenges, need wheelchair accessible, and there's very little housing that can accommodate that that's affordable. And, of course, discrimination. And we find that people face that on a daily basis. So um, we want to close the front door, um, and we want to open the back door. And I'm going to end on that note because I'm getting flagged here. So thank you very much.